Good morning. Good morning. That was kind of weak, right? It's like I think one person said good morning. Like, it's so. Good morning. Good morning. Good. That's good. That's it's good to be awake, uh, knowing that we're going to be opening the Word of God. So grab your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be a black one in front of you. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, take that and uh, let that be a gift from us to you. Um, and open to Book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. So we started a new series last week in the Book of Jonah. And uh, last week and every week after this, we're going to be reminded that this story is about God's infuriating grace. And last week, we discovered that Jonah was the leading prophet of the day in Israel. He was a well-respected man. He was respected by the people around him, and he has seen God at work. He has seen God at work, especially through Elijah and Elisha. And this man, this is the man who God calls to go to a city outside of Israel uh, called Nineveh. So he gets called to go to Nineveh. That was his calling. And we talked about this, this, this great city last week. We talked about this calling. And uh, in the midst of this calling, Jonah does get up. He gets up, but he goes in the other direction. He goes in the other direction. In fact, in verse 3 of Jonah 1, it describes how deliberate Jonah is in running from this calling or running from God. And in verse 3, it says, uh, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Deliberate. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He is running on purpose. He knows it and he is going. He's, he's on the run. He is disobeying God and running from God. He buys one way ticket to nowhere. And I think, I think if we look at that, I think all of us or most of us could, re, could, could, could look back at our lives and remember a time or times when we rebelled against God and ran from God. Maybe it was a season. Maybe it was like a, well, it wasn't just like a one moment thing. It was like a season, uh, like a time in college or maybe after college when you grew apathetic towards God. You probably didn't acknowledge this to yourself, but you just simply wanted to live outside of God's control. You're just like, I just want to be my own man or woman and just do whatever I want to do. You wanted to live however you wanted to live. But if you're sitting here today, there's, there's one truth we can confirm is that fact that the fact that God is ahead of you. If you're sitting in here, that means God is doing something in your heart today. And there's a reason why you're here. Maybe your story is different, right? Maybe, maybe uh, whenever I told you about, hey, there's a moment or moments of you when you rebelled against God. Maybe you just grew up in a Christian family, and since you're, you first believed in God, you have been walking with God. But remember, the root of running from God or rebelling is this question, is God really for me? If I give him my whole life complete control, will I be okay or will I be miserable? 
A theologian and a pastor from New York, Tim Keller, describes sin or running away from God like this. He says, sin is grounded in the refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good and more aware of what that is than we are. And that's me every day. That's me every day. I question God's goodness and control daily. And so, yes, may, may, yes, we may have a story of us running from God in a deliberate way, but, but we also run from God daily by distrusting His control and rule and, and replacing it with myself. And, and what we learn today in our text in Jonah is that no matter what kind of running is happening in our lives, God is gracious, slow to anger, merciful, and His grace is always one step ahead of us. And because God is one step ahead of us, it, with His grace, our hearts then, the hearts can trust and worship that kind of God. Right? That's what we're going to see in our text today. That because God is ahead of us, because God is, is, is in front of us with His grace and kindness, that moves our hearts to trust and worship. So we're going to read a very lengthy passage now. And uh, so if you're able, please stand. And then uh, we'll read Jonah 1, 4 through 17. Let's read this together. This is the word of God. Uh, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the marines were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had lay there to fall asleep. And the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us, that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, they may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and they fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the man were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? But the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men roared hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, Lord, done as pleased to you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly, 
and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. So a few years back, uh, back in the day, uh, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, uh, and uh, every season, right around this time of the year, uh, is considered to be the hurricane season. And so right around this time, uh, there would usually be a hurricane that would be coming towards Pensacola. So, so I was born in Russia, raised in Russia, and then we moved from Russia to uh, Salem for a couple years, Oregon, and then we end up in Pensacola. So when we got to Pensacola, there was a storm coming, and it was the first hurricane that we were about to witness. And, and most people, you know, would be boarding the windows or doing something for safety. Well, we were one of those families that wanted to go to the beach to see the waves. So, right? So, like, the, the, we're driving, and it's like streets are flooding, but we're like, we're going to go see the waves. Like, that, that was our family. Like, and now thinking back, it's like, wow, we were really, I mean, it was the 90s, so TV was not as, anyways. So, I, I have no excuse. We were just kind of, kind of uh, crazy. So, I remember there was this big storm came. We went, we saw the storm. And, um, and so, but over the years, we did grow wiser, and we noticed that these storms, these hurricanes were, were vicious, and they were damage and break things and just anything that was in their way, right? And so my senior year of high school, uh, there was a storm called Ivan coming to Pensacola, and it was supposed to hit right to Pensacola. And so again, um, we're wiser, so we're not going to the beach to look at the waves this time, but we're still just staying. Like we're not, we're not that family who were like, okay, Ivan's coming, so we're like out of there. No, we're just going to be just staying in our house. And our house was pretty far from the beach, so we had good reasons. And, um, but I remember the storm, it was coming, and, uh, and we stayed. And that particular night, I remember just trying to go to sleep. And it was the, it was the storm was supposed to happen at night. And so uh, I was trying to fall asleep, but I couldn't. And so, uh, and I couldn't because the wind was just the surge of the wind would hit the house and the whole house would shake and the windows would rattle and then like the the i remember the drops of the rain that would hit the house it felt like hail was hitting the house but it was just the 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 wind catching the the rains and smacking against the window um and it was it was just kind of terrifying so i decided to get up from my bed and uh go to my parents room so i walk in my parents are there my younger brother's already there and so i'm like terrified and um and i just remember just sitting there the rain the wind uh the way it sounded and, and it just felt like the best way to describe it is that th- this hurricane was going to rip our house in half just that's the that's the like as i think back that's what i remember it's like we're about to die we are about to die. And so we were just terrified sitting there together. Have you been in a storm? Have you been in a storm? Have you experienced a storm that terrified you before? What about a storm in your life? The brokenness that makes my hurricane story look like a gentle rain. Because our, st- our passage starts with a storm in verse 4 of our passage but the lord, but the lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up 
The word hurled is this word that usually means throwing a weapon, like a, like a spear from 1 Samuel 18, 11. We see this when we read this, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I'll pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. So like, it's a Saul throwing a spear. That's the way this word is hurled, used, and God hurled a great wind. Great is, is, a word, is the same word that was used to describe the great city of Nineveh. So, like, so this is a, a great city. So you're not seeing this word great for the first time. You're seeing it again describing great city. Now there's a great wind that was thrown by God. And God is throwing a great storm towards Jonah. Jonah is running from God. And God sends a great wind towards him. And it's real. It's dramatic. And it's happening fairly fast in our story, right? Like we're only in verse 4. And we're already seeing a man running from God. And we're seeing God responding to that running. And is that the case for us? Is that the case for us? Do storms follow our sins? Yes and no. Yes and no. This could be true. This could be true. Like, if you're having an affair, your spouse will leave you, right? Like, that, that's a consequence. If you're having an affair, your spouse will leave you. If you speed, you probably will get a ticket. And it's, a, it's, it's happening right away, right? You, you disobeyed the law, and guess what? You have a ticket that's, that the cop hand, hands you. You break the law, and there's a consequence that is tied to it. And so it could be like this for us. It could be that when you sin, there is an immediate consequence that happens to you. It could be. But often for us, when we live in sin, it's a slow drift. It's a slow drift. Um, have you, have you ever, how many of you have been to the beach? You have you? Okay, cool. So, so when you are in the ocean and you are laying on your back, I'm just full of Florida stories today, right? Like, this is just good. I grew up in Florida, so, that, so this will be a Florida story. So if you're, um, if you're in the, at the ocean, at the beach, and you're just floating on your back, and all you can see is sky, right? All you can see is sky. The water feels amazing. The, the, just the, the, it's, it's cool. The hot sun is hitting you, but you just feel the cool water on your skin in the midst of all that heat. And you can't feel yourself moving. You're just kind of just hanging there, right? But if, if you have done that before, remember, if you look up about 10 minutes later, you will see that your towel is about 100 yards down the beach because slowly you have been drifting away, even though you may not have felt it. And that's the way sin works. That's the way sin works. At first, it always feels good. It always feels good, just like the water feels feels good. And because of that great feeling, you don't realize the drift. And, but when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you realize that you have been drifting for quite some time and your towel may be far away. Uh, this, is, this is an example one of the scholars used um, as I was studying this text, describing uh, just one sin. So this, this what, he's, what he says here can be applied to a lot of sins, every sin maybe, um, but, but it's, he's talking about bitter thoughts here. So this is what he said. He says, when you indulge yourself in bitter thoughts, it feels so satisfying to fantasize about payback. But slowly and surely, it will enlarge your capacity for self-pity 
erode your, erode your ability to trust and enjoy relationships and generally drain the happiness out of your daily life. And to some extent, that's the nature of sin. That's the nature of sin. It, feel, it feels satisfying at first. It satisfies you at first, but then the longer it actually kills and destroys you. It kills and destroys you. But, but before we move on, before we move on, we need to ask a fairly difficult question. So we know that Jonah is disobeying God and God is throwing a storm into his life. So, so, so the question is, is every difficult situation in my life is the consequence of sin? Like, if I got irritated with my kids and yelled at them before leaving the house, and then on my drive, I get a flat tire, is that, is it, is it, is it because I sin and now I'm paying the consequence? Maybe and maybe not. The book of Job contradicts the common belief that good people will have everything fine and good in their lives. And if something bad is happening in your life, that is completely your fault or the fault of your sin. Here's what the Bible does teach. Every sin will bring you into difficulty. Storms are attached to sin, but it doesn't teach that every difficult situation is the result of sin. Do you see the difference? Here's, a, here's an embarrassing um, story from this past week about me. Um, so I was sitting on the couch. It was probably like 9 o'clock in the evening. I'm sitting on the couch, and there's a little gnat flying around. So first I try to kill it, and I was like, ah, I can't get it. So I just keep sitting there, and there's little gnats keep flying around. And next thing you know, this, this little innocent gnat decides to kamikaze right into my throat. <laughs> right? Like, and so it does. And, and in that moment, I can't breathe. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm dying. Really? Like, this is how I go? Like, I, you know, I just, just had all these things. I couldn't breathe. My lungs were just kind of, like, I was like poison coming into my body or something. Right? Like, just like all these things. And, um, and as, I was, as it was happening, I, I was thinking, whose sin was it that I'm, I'm choking the result of this? Is it mine? Is it the gnat? Right? Like, or is it the following world that we live in? And death by gnat makes you turn really <laughs> philosophical, right? But, like, but, but this is the same question. So I know it's funny, it's humorous, but this is the same question was asked by the disciples in a far more serious situation. A far more serious situation. In John 9, uh, 1-3, as Jesus passed by, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. So whose sin is it that this man is blind? And Jesus says, it's not this man's sin or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. And in some ways, in our story, the sailors in our story are also caught up in a storm that's not theirs. They didn't do anything wrong to bring the storm on themselves. And the storm was real to them as it was to Jonah. And most storms in life come at us not because we need punishment for a particular sin, but because we live in the fallen world. There's a, there's a line from the book of Job uh, that says, Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. 
Like, so, so you are born in this broken, sinful world, and there'll be moments when you feel that brokenness, like gnats trying to kill you. Like, like that is living in a broken world. But here's comfort for us in the midst of this. There's comfort for us, for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, world is filled with storms that will hit us, either because of our own sin or because of the fallen world. It doesn't really matter, though. Because there's a promise that is attached to us because we are in Christ. God works things out for our good. In fact, a lot of storms that come our way are similar to Jonah's, Jonah's storm. And that God is walking before us, sending us into the storm for our good. And that is a hard statement to swallow, that God sends us, us storms and that therefore are good. But as I was studying this, this text and this passage, one of the scholars shared a fairy tale that, that explains this paradox well. So this is how the story goes. There's a wicked witch who lived in a cottage in the forest. And when travelers came through looking for lodging, she offered a meal and a bed. A bed was this most wonderful, comfortable bed you ever imagined, ever felt, but it was a bed full of dark magic. And if you were asleep, when the sun came up, you would churn into a stone. And then you'd become a figure in the witch's statuary, trapped under the end of times, until the end of times. The witch forced a young girl to serve her, and even though she, this young girl, had no power to resist the witch, the girl became more and more filled with pity and witches, uh, uh, for the witch's victims. So one day there's a young man came looking for a bed and board, and he was taken in. The servant girl could not bear to see him churn, churn to stone, so she threw sticks, stones, and thistles into his bed, and it made the bed horribly uncomfortable. Every time he churned, he felt a new painful object under him. Even though he threw each one out, there were always a new one to dig into his flesh. He slept only pitifully and finally rose, feeling weary and warm, uh, worn long before dawn. As he walked out of the front door, the servant girl met him, and he berated her cruelly. How could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones, he said. Ah, she said under her breath, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely great misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were sticks and stones of love. Those were sticks and stones of love. God is ahead of you. And sometimes his grace comes as sticks and stones. The storms in our lives right now might seem like the end of the world, but those are the sticks and stones of love. Just sit there for a second under that. So the Lord sends a great wind to pursue Jonah with 
his grace. But what else is going on in our story? What else is going on? There's something else that shows us that Jonah can't run away from God's plan. In verse 5, the sailors are terrified and then naturally start praying to their own gods because they think they're going to die. There's a movie, there's a movie that came out this past summer called Adrift. I have, been, I have not seen it, so if you've seen it, I have no idea if it's a good movie, bad movie. I just watched a trailer. I watched a trailer for this, and in the trailer, uh, so this, this is the premise of the movie. I don't actually, maybe I don't know the premise of the movie, but like <laughs> all I saw is this couple heading to a Category 5 hurricane. Like that's the premise that I got from this trailer. Um, so they're going to this Category 5 hurricane, and they show a couple clips from the movie that it looked terrifying. Like, the waves are coming, and there's a boat, and the waves are about five times bigger than the boat, right? Like, it's just like you see this little boat, and there's a wave that's about to hit them really hard, and they're terrified. They're screaming like they're sure they're going to die. And I can imagine, as I was watching that trailer, kind of like what sailors here are feeling. They're feeling the same thing, thinking they will die. So they start throwing stuff overboard. And in verse 6, the captain finds out that Jonah is sleeping and tells him to call out to his God. And in verse 7, they, they cast lots because these, these pagan sailors knew that this kind of unexpected storm was not normal and some, someone has done something to get that kind of storm, something wrong. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And in verse 8, they question him. And he's saying, hey, what, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? In verse 9, he tells them that who he is and who he truly worships. In verse 10, the men are terrified and ask him, what has he done? In verse 11 through 13, Jonah tells them to throw him overboard, but they refuse and try to paddle back. Finally, they call out to God and throw Jonah into the water. And in verse 16, they fear the Lord and make vows to him. So there's much to say, and there's much going on in our, in our story. Just, there's much to say about these sailors. They are extremely alert in the storm. And, and if you compare them to Jonah, uh, they're extremely alert in the storm, and Jonah is sleeping. They're trying to be of help to one another while Jonah is absorbed, absorbed by his own problems. They pray each to their own God, but Jonah does not pray to his. And they're not closed off to understanding the one true God at the end. In fact, they're more ready to call to the true God than Jonah. And the irony of this story so far is that God called Jonah to the nation full of pagans, but Jonah runs away in the opposite direction and finds himself in a similar situation, a ship full of those who don't know God. And Jonah doesn't want to proclaim who God is to them, but God, in spite of Jonah, proclaims himself to them. Do you see how the God of grace is ahead of Jonah in every way? They eventually do hurl Jonah into the water. And what happens? The storm stops. The sailors are saved. And they're filled with great fear and worship God. God sends a great fish. And Jonah is also saved. And so... This past week, I encouraged you all to read Jonah 1 and just sit under it. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this with my kids. I want to, you know, I want to read the story of Jonah to them and, and read other passages of Scripture to them that might relate to Jonah. And so um, this past week, I, I got the kids' storybook Bible. And, and on Monday, I read the story. And on Wednesday, I read another story that was similar. And it was about Jesus and his disciples 
in the boat um, in a, during a storm. And so I was reading this story. Uh, Simon kept saying, and they will throw Jesus overboard? And they'll throw Jesus overboard? And I was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> no, you're connecting it. Yes, but no. Um, and so, so just like, father, check. Um, and, um, and so I did say, I was like, no, Jesus is better than Jonah. He created the wind. He created the wind, and the wind will obey him. But these stories are similar, you know. To Simon's credit, that's great that he saw the similarities. These stories are similar. The story of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark and the story of Jonah. Both have Jesus and Jonah out in the water in boats. Both Jesus' and Jonah's boats are overtaken by storms. Both Jesus and Jonah are surprisingly asleep in the midst of a mighty storm. In both stories, the people on the boat come to the sleeper and cry out to help as they are perishing. Both are delivered. Both have the storm disappear. In both stories, the people on the boat are terrified at the end of the story and worship God. But there are differences. There are differences in the story. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, the, the, the disciples come to Jesus and express how we often feel during the storm. They say, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? And isn't that how we often feel during the storm? God, do you care if we drown? Do you, God, care for my well-being? And I believe Mark is being very intentional and in drawing our attention to the similarities in, in, this, in this story. Jesus didn't get thrown into the water. He spoke and the storm stopped. But Jesus did come to save us from a far greater storm. He was thrown into the much bigger waves, the divine wrath, so he could save us from the death and sin himself. Jonah basically is saying to the sailors, I will take the full wrath of the waves so you don't have to. Jonah was willing to die sacrificial death for those he barely knew, but it was because of his own sin. And he was saved. Unlike Jonah, Jesus did die and he came under the weight of not his, but our sin and punishment. When Jonah hit the water, the storm stopped, and he was the great substitute. Jesus, just like Jonah, uh, plays the role of the substitute for us. And Hebrews 2.17 describes Jesus. It says, Therefore he has been made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And this word propitiation is the substitution kind of word. means means that Christ dealt with the wrath of God on sin and evil by standing in our place and bearing the punishment we deserve. John Stott is a great theologian, and he says this about substitution or about propitiation. Um, and it's, it's a lengthy quote. Um, I was hoping it would be up there. Um, it's not. Okay, I'm going to read this quote. Uh, can you guys get the quote up there? There it is. Cool. Because um, it is a lengthy quote, and I want you guys to see it. So this is what John Stott says. The biblical gospel of atonement is of, is of God satisfying himself by substituting himself for us. The concept of substitution may be said then 
to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for men. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for men and puts himself where only men deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to men alone. That is the God that we worship. He is the one who's ahead of us in every sense of the way. A God who suffers pain and justice and death for us. Our God knows what storms feel like because he took on the greatest storm the world, the world has ever, ever had. This substitution is the truth that conquers our disbelief in God's goodness. This kind of substitution makes our hearts melt and realize that whenever I distrust God, I can trust God, this kind of God because this is Him satisfying. He was this great substitution on the cross. And this kind of substitution is the only thing that conquers all of our rebellious ways of running from Him. Because He understands us. Jesus is better than everything. He walks ahead of us. And as he shoulders his cross, he shoulders our storms. He alone, then, is worthy of our worship. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let me pray for us.